I don't usually tell a lot of planned jokes, but I figured it's Father's Day, and so what would Father's Day be without some dad jokes, right? So there was one little tyke whose apparent misunderstanding of the term broken home prompted this admonition from his father. He said, I don't care if the basement wall is cracking. Stop telling people that you come from a broken home. It's okay. You don't have to laugh, ladies. It's a dad joke. We didn't expect it. I'm just, just doing it anyway. After bringing his first baby home from the hospital, a wife suggested to her husband that maybe he try his hand at changing diapers. And uh, he said, I, I, I'm busy. I'll, I'll get the next one. So to his surprise, within an hour, she came back again. And she said, would you like to give it a shot and try changing a diaper now? He just kind of looked at her puzzled for a second. And then he said, I, I meant the next baby, not the next diaper. <laughs> like, so, dad jokes. <laughs> so today we're going to pick up on week three of our series on Jonah. We've been talking about the life of this man, this prophet of God in the Old Testament. I want to invite you, if you have a Bible today or if you want to borrow one in the pew rack there, uh, to open it with me to the little book of Jonah. And we're going to do, as we've done for the last two Sundays in this series, I'm going to invite you when you find your place to stand with me. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We'll put the words on the screen. And we're going to read the third chapter of the book of Jonah. Don't worry, like the second chapter, it's only 10 verses long. It won't take long, but find it and stand to your feet with me today just to honor the word of the Lord. We're going to read chapter 3 so that we can all process this. Maybe you haven't read it in several weeks or even months, but I want you to get it in your mind again, and then we're going to ask the Lord to, to embed his truth into our hearts. So, Follow along with me as I read from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Father God, today, I pray that you take this word that we've just looked at. God, let it become alive 
in our spirits. We know that your word is alive and active. There's breath on the page. It is the inspired word of God. But Lord God, may it be inspired in our hearts and in our lives today as we receive it, as we meditate on it, as we consider it and consider our ways. Father, we thank you for this word today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. As you're seated, let me just say uh, what a joy it is to have my sister-in-law and my niece, uh, Vanessa and Belinda, in the service with us today. So, so glad you guys are here. Yeah. I want to uh, take a few moments this morning and just jump right into chapter 3 of Jonah, line by line, verse by verse, and I want to share some things with you that the Lord uh, has spoken to me through it. This is a powerful chapter in a powerful little book. And let me just catch us up to speed a little bit without going into too much detail. Let me tell you what we've seen in the last two weeks. For those of you that haven't been in here and to refresh our minds. In week one of this series, we learned through the lens of Jonah's life what it looks like to run from God. In, in Jonah chapter one... In the third verse, it says these words. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. We talked about how Tarshish for you and for I is, is, is a place that, that we pursue pleasure and peace and satisfaction outside of the known will of God. Jonah ran from God and, and his running by the grace of God brought disaster Jonah uh, was thrown overboard from a ship in the middle of a storm. And, and then, of course, uh, the famous verse, the, the one that brings the most, uh, the most criticism and skepticism in all of the book is right at the end of chapter 1, where the Bible says in verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And if you know anything about Jonah, but you've never read the story, that's probably all you know. That there was Jonah and there was a whale. And there was a big fish that God provided to swallow Jonah. We saw through his life what it looks like to run from God. And we learned that even though we can fall far from the grace of God, his grace dives even deeper. And while Jonah was plummeting to the bottom of the sea, God in his grace came and swooped him up. And then in chapter 2, we saw a different pattern in his life. Jonah was not running from God, but now he was running back to God. And last week, we talked about Jonah and the worship. And here's a man who learned what it means to praise God through the process. What I mean by that is this. Jonah, chapter 2 is recorded from inside the fish. As he writes this later, he's recalling the thoughts that he had from that place. For three days and three nights, Jonah is inside the belly of this fish. And yet, when you read chapter 2, it's all praise. It's all psalms. It's quotations of the psalms. And so Jonah learned how to praise in the process. And last week, we ended the service gathering around these altars. As many of us will do today. We gathered around these altars and we said, God, I may not be where I'm trying to get to, but I'm not dead. And so I've got a reason to praise. That was the exact situation that Jonah was in. He was in the belly of a fish, but he wasn't dead yet. And he had a reason to praise God and he did it. And that's what God shows us about pursuing God's presence. Not based on feeling or emotion, but making up your mind and saying, God, I am going to pursue your heart. Now today is all about finding the sweet spot. 
If you've ever played baseball or, or softball or swung a golf club, you might understand the inference of the sweet spot. There, there's there's a, a sweet spot on the bat or on the club face where if you make contact there, things go the distance they were designed to go. Things go to the best of their capability. And that's what Jonah chapter 3 is all about. It's about Jonah finding the sweet spot in his relationship with God. Because in chapter 1 he was running from God and in chapter 2 he was running back to God. But in chapter 3, Jonah's running with God. He's running with God. And I want us to look through uh, this scripture together. And we're going to see what it looks like to run with God. Can I just tell you here, by way of introduction, that that is God's plan for your life? That you run with Him. See, some people don't know that because they've spent all of their relationship with God, whether it's been for five days or, or 50 years. Some people, all they, all they know of a relationship with God is that uh, they live their life in opposition to God, pursuing some form of Tarshish, some form of an idea of a life that they can enjoy and be satisfied with outside of the known will of God. Until they hit rock bottom, until they hit a storm, until circumstances happen that, that they can't manage. And then what do they do? They turn around and they run to God. Just the same way that Jonah did. They run back to God. And the grace verse, though it doesn't sound like grace, at the end of chapter 2 is this. The Bible says at the very end of chapter 2, after Jonah has been swallowed by the fish, as he's turned uh, his rebellion into praise and he's pursuing God, the Bible says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's the grace of God. It doesn't sound like uh, grace, but you've been in that situation before, I'm sure, where you chose to do something, to live a certain way, and you were in rebellion to God until you hit rock bottom. You, you faced a situation that you, you couldn't deal with, you couldn't handle, you couldn't resolve it, and, and maybe it was just out of pure desperation, maybe it was a bargaining chip you were throwing on the table, but something compelled you to pray a prayer, oh God, help me get out of this. That's the kind of prayer that Jonah prayed as he's plummeting to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. God, get me out of this. Help me, God. And maybe you prayed that prayer. But the problem is you've never gotten into chapter 3. Your whole relationship with God has been running from God and then running back to God. And then running from God and then running back to God. And then you just stay there long enough to clean the vomit off. And then you run back away from God again. And a lot of people have never understood what it is to live life with the wind at your back. They've never comprehended what it is to live life on purpose. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, here's the plan of the devil. It's not complicated. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full. The way to get that, the way to experience the full life that God has for you. You don't experience it by running from God. And you don't even experience it just by running to God. There's grace in that. There's second chances in that. But you don't get the full life until you get up, clean the stink off of your past, and begin to run with God. That's where Jonah is at in chapter 3. He's about to experience fullness of life. And some of you, for the first time, you're going to go out of this service today with a purpose in your heart to say, you know what, it was good to be back in church. Maybe it's been a long time. It was good to, to pray a prayer. It was good to, to praise God through the process. But I'm leaving today with a purposed mind to say, I'm going to run with God. I'm going to try to journey with Jesus this time. 
and not do it on my own again. That's the story that we see unfolding before us. We haven't even read the first verse. It's good already, isn't it? Look at it with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I I just want to stop right there. Some of you, you came to church on this Father's Day for one reason. Now, you might have think it was because somebody invited you or because you're visiting or, or, or because you wanted a brat after church. I don't know. But here's the reason you came. You came today to get this word. Just this one verse. For some of you, that's what you need today. So I don't want to rush past it. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Can I just tell you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that we serve a God of second chances. We serve a God who gives second chances. One of the greatest lies that Satan can ever tell a person is that you just blew it for the last time. And some of you have heard that lie and you believe that lie. And you're convinced that, you know what, I've, I've wasted away my days of grace. I've sinned away my opportunities. The, too much time has passed. Too many mistakes have been made. I can't make up the difference for what I've missed out on. And the enemy wants to lie to you and convince you that you have blown it for the last time. But I love this verse of scripture. This is a grace verse. This is a verse that I highlight, I underline, I draw an arrow to it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And can I just say to you that this isn't a unique verse. Jonah is not the first servant of God to need a second chance. And he's certainly not the last. I mean, if you look down through the scriptures, you find a litany of men and women who have had the opportunity to serve God, do the will of God, and then for whatever reason, they failed. But there's a verse in Matthew that describes Jesus, our Savior. Can I talk about Jesus for a minute? Here's what the Bible says about him in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 20. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering, dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. That's a picture of the care and the compassion that Jesus has towards us. A bruised reed. Anybody ever play a woodwind instrument in high school or, or middle school? You got that tiny little, tiny little reed that, you know, you see kids like licking it before the concert and getting it good and moist. And then they stick it in there under the mouthpiece and, and they blow on it. And the vibration of that root reed allows the sound to come out. But those things break and they crack real easy. And, and what does a musician do when that thing cracks and breaks? Well, it's simple. They just throw it away. You get another one out. You buy them by the pack. But this verse says a bruised reed, Jesus isn't going to just discard. He's not going to throw it away just because there's, you're, you're not perfect anymore because you've got some mistakes. And he gives this analogy of a smoldering wick. When the flame is just about to go out on the candle, you can just, you can just extinguish it that quickly. That's not the heart of God. It says a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Think about all of the stories that we have through the word of God of men and women who, who God gave opportunities to. I mean, I think about the people that are the heroes of our faith. But the reality is Abraham lied about his wife. Sarah laughed at God when he spoke. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. 
David committed adultery. Moses was a murderer. Eli failed as a father. Elijah was suicidal. Peter denied Christ. On and on and on. We look at these men and these women that God used. And yet the reality is when you look at the backstory. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for the backstory. I'm glad that the Bible's not just chock full of best case scenarios. How about you? It's not just all the, all the highlight reels of the men and women of God. No, we get the raw footage. We get the behind the scenes mistakes, the mess ups, the, the failures. Why do you think we have all those pictures? Why do you think the Bible communicates to us time and time again, men and women of God who failed and yet God spoke to him again? Is it so that we can just applaud what God has done? Is that we can go, wow, man, God was really gracious back then. Absolutely not. The reason that we have these stories is not so that we can celebrate what God did. It's so that we can see what he does. He's a God of second chances today. He's a God who speaks for a second time today. And you may have heard his voice. You may at one time in your life known exactly what God wanted you to do, where he wanted you to do it. And you chose not to listen. But God is a God who speaks a second time. In fact, he delights in using broken people. He delights in letting his glory shine through the cracks in your life. In fact, that's exactly what Paul the Apostle was talking about when he gave us this picture. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure. Talking about the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, as as we look through this story, you're going to see the people of Nineveh were compelled. But they weren't compelled because of who Jonah was. Or because of how Jonah preached. Or how Jonah carried himself. They were compelled by the message. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. That it's it's the glory of God. It's the surpassing power of God. That is contained in jars of clay. In earthen vessels. In simple people. Look at verse 2 with me in Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord says. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And proclaim to it the message I give you. So. Here's the thing I notice as I'm looking at this story. Jonah is in exactly the same position that he was in in chapter 1. He's in the exact same place. If you go back to chapter 1 and look look at it, it says in verse 1, and two weeks ago I told you this whole book is about the way Jonah responds to chapter 1, verse 1. The whole book is in response to verse 1. It said the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And how we respond to the word of the Lord is going to dictate everything else that happens in our life. But here he is after he ran. Verse 3 said he ran from God. He's been through all of the adversity. He's been through all of the, the storm and, and all of the, uh, the, the, just the chaos of being swallowed by a fish and of being spit back up on the shore. And now the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And when it comes, boy, it sounds an awful lot like the first time. In fact, j- just look at chapter 1. In verse 2, it said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. 
After all of his failures and his rebellion, you look at verse 2 of chapter 3, it says essentially the same thing. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I have given you. The assignment for Jonah is the same. It's just as important. Nineveh is just as rebellious. They are as just as in need of the message that he's supposed to bring as they ever were before. Here's the lie that Satan wants to tell us if we've blown it. He wants to tell us that now his plan and his purpose for our life is, is a consolation. It's plan B. Like he had a plan for you, but because you rebelled, because you fell away, because you fell into temptation, because you just didn't listen, for whatever reason, you blew your chance. And if you want to get back in, maybe there's room for you, but it's going to be an alternate plan. It's going to be a less significant plan. It's going to be plan B because you've blown your opportunity. That's not what we see in God's word. God comes to Jonah a second time. And he tells them essentially the exact same thing. Dads, hear my heart today. I know I'm speaking to a lot of people, but dads, hear my heart today. You still have a responsibility. You have a job, an assignment from God, and it's on the table today. Don't let any, anything that has happened forfeit the purpose and the plan that God has for you today. It's still on the table. It's still significant. It still matters in the eyes of God. That's why he calls a second time. If he didn't still have an assignment for you, he wouldn't be calling your name. But he's calling today because he still has an assignment for you. He wants you to do something for him. And guess what? If he's calling, you're qualified. He gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do. Look at the third verse with me. I love this verse. It says, Jonah obeyed. The word of the Lord. And he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. I've already pointed out the contrast, or the similarities rather, to chapter 1 and chapter 3. They, they essentially start the same way. The first time, the first verse, the Lord comes to Jonah. The second verse, he calls Jonah. But in the third verse of chapter 1, Jonah runs away. And we've seen how that played out. Now in the third chapter, the Lord calls a second time in the first verse. In the second verse, he tells him essentially the same assignment. But in the third verse, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He obeyed the word of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of incredible promises in God's word. A lot of awesome, awesome promises that we can hold on to. But can I just tell you that many of those promises are conditional upon your obedience. They're conditional. And what that means is simply this. If you, don't, if you don't meet the condition for the blessing, you can't claim the blessing. There's a lot of people out there claiming things that, that God wants for them. But they disqualify themselves from receiving them because they don't walk in obedience to God's word. This is, this is not a complicated thing, but it's hard. Jonah obeyed the Lord. Everything that happens from here is going to hinge on this step, just as the same way everything in chapter 1 hinged on Jonah's running. He made up his mind. He obeyed. He obeyed God. I, I don't have time to go into all of this, but I just want to encourage you to, to, in your own time, read John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the first 10 verses. Just read the first 10 verses and see how many times the Bible says remain. 
Over and over and over again, Jesus says, remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me. If you remain in me, you'll produce much fruit. If you don't remain in me, you won't produce fruit. Over and over and over, he's saying, remain, remain, remain in me. And I'll tell you why he says it. Because remaining in Jesus is the key. It is the key to running with God. And how, how do we remain in Jesus? Jesus said this. He said, if you obey my commandments, you are my disciples. That's easy enough, right? I mean, you want to know if you're a Christian or not. Maybe you came in with that question. I don't know if I'm really saved. Are you obeying his commands? See, obeying his commands don't bring your salvation, but they validate it. They verify it. In other words, Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. So what are you producing out of your life? I'm not talking about a standard of perfection. I'm talking about a direction. Are you moving towards Christ? Are you trying to honor God? Are you trying to cultivate fruit in your life? Because if you're moving in the opposite direction of God, it's not a complicated question. Jesus said, you're mine. You're mine if you keep my commandments. If you obey my word, if you obey my teachings. Look at the fourth verse with me in Jonah 3. It says, Jonah began... By going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Let me just give you a little uh, Bible understanding here. Jonah, the book of Jonah, not the man. The book of Jonah is considered one of the minor prophets. There's major prophets and there's minor prophets. The major prophets uh, um, are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations and Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are the major prophets. After Daniel, you have all the minor prophets. There's 12 of them. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Daniel, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are the minor prophets. And here's, here's the thing about the minor prophets. They're not minor because they're less significant. They're minor because they're smaller. They said less. So they're minor. The major guys said a lot. If you want to read a short book, read a minor prophet. You want to read a long book, read a major prophet. But here's the thing about Jonah. Of all the minor prophets, he has to be the most minor. Because in this whole book, in this four-week series that I'm doing, Jonah's prophecy takes up half of one verse. That's it. His word from the Lord in the original Hebrew is five words. That's it. All of his running from God, all of his not wanting to do what God wanted him to do. We just read it. If you weren't paying attention, you missed it. Here it is. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That, that's the prophecy of Jonah. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And let, me just, let me just say it might be a simple message and it is. But I want you to look at the results that comes out of this simple obedience verse 5 the ninevites believed god five words in the hebrew language the ninevites believed god now the application is probably obvious but i'm going to ask the question anyway just what could happen what would be the potential if you like jonah just obeyed God. What could happen if you were willing to do what he said do? Say what he told you to say. Go where he told you to go. Abstain from the things that 
He told you to abstain from. What could happen? The potential, I'm telling you this morning, the potential is absolutely limitless. Jonah shares five words with Nineveh. And the next verse says, and Nineveh believed God. Now, let me just point something out before we move on. It doesn't say that they believed Jonah. It said they believed God. It doesn't say they believed in God. It says they believe God. And I just want to say to you this morning that there is a difference in believing in God and believing God. There may be an atheist among us today. I don't know. But I'm going to just go out on a limb and say at least 99% of the people in this room believe in God. You would, you would adhere to the idea that he's out there, he's up there, he's somewhere, he made all this. There is a God. You would go that far to believe in God. But there are some of you who would even maybe say, I, I would call myself a believer. I'm a Christian, sure. I believe the Bible too. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Easter and Christmas and all that stuff. You believe in God. But when it comes to the way you live your life, you don't believe God. You believe in Him, but you don't believe Him. You don't believe what he says about your life. You don't believe the plans that he says he has for you. You don't believe the work that he has purposed and created you to do. And it's evidence not by your words but by your deeds. The Bible says you show me your faith and I'll show you works. Because faith without works is dead. It's no faith at all. You might say you believe God but if you don't respond to what he says. You only believe in God. God wants you to believe Him this morning. He wants you to believe Him. You know, He's spoken so many incredible things about your life and my life. He's spoken so many promises and so many plans, but until we actually believe Him, until we're convinced, we're not going to follow that mental ascent with action steps. We're not going to walk out in obedience until we're actually convinced by God. And Nineveh, after a five-word sermon, was convinced. They believed God. And look at what it says happened. Verse 5, the second part says, All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, in the Eastern culture, this isn't something we do here, but in the Eastern culture, outward actions were were common as a symbolism to express an an inward uh, motivation or emotion. And so it was pretty common to put on sackcloth and even to put ashes on you to communicate outwardly humility. And so the Bible says that all the people did this. It says all of them. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the requirements that we find at the cross of Jesus Christ. I've heard it said this way before, that the cross levels the playing field. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And what I mean by that is there's not a one person in this room that could say that that you don't have to come in a posture of humility to the foot of the cross. There's not a person here that could say, well, I've lived a good life or, well, my parents were great people or "I've, I've given a lot of money to charity. There's not a person that has any platitude that you can pin on your chest to say that for this reason, I don't have to humble myself. God was about to spare Nineveh, but he was going to spare them because all of them, it said, all of them humbled themselves. They humbled their heart. They they bowed down. It says from the greatest 
to the least. They humbled themselves. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 6 says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he sat down in the dust. Verse 7. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Verse 8. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Now this is, this is a, a pagan king from Nineveh, a wicked man. Has no relationship with God whatsoever. But in this decree, as his heart is, is convicted of, of sin... In this decree, he communicates something powerful. He communicates to us the order that spiritual transformation has to happen in. And I want to give it to you. It's right there in verse 8. He said, let them give up their evil way and their violence. And just before that, he said, call urgently on God. So here's the twofold plan for how to have a spiritual transformation in your life. First of all, you have to call on God. That's what it requires. Call on God. You know, there's a lot of people that they have this attitude. They say, you know what? I got to get some things right in my life. I got to, I got to, I got to straighten some stuff out first. I got to cleanse away the evil in my life. And then I'll come and I'll, I'll call on God. Once I get things in order, then I'll come back to God. Then I'll, I'll come back to church. Then I'll try to do right. Listen, you've got it out of order. You have to call on God first because if you think you can fix your life outside of his mercy you have grossly underestimated the mercy of god and your need for a savior the bible communicates to us that all have sinned all have fallen short of the glory of god we need a savior amen we need a savior and that's why it begins with calling i love this verse in first john 1 9 it says if again a conditional promise if We confess our sins. Call on God urgently. If we confess our sins, it says, then He is faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll help us with the purging away of the evil part if we'll begin with the calling on God. And so the king says, call urgently on God. And secondly, you have to repent of your evil ways. The king of Nineveh understood this. We have to call on God and we have to repent. You know the word repent just means to turn. When we repent of sin, we turn from sin. We turn away from it. This goes back to John 15 and Jesus saying, remain in me. And if you, how do you know I remain in you? Because I'm obeying you. Because I'm pursuing the direction of the cross with my life. He said, remain in me. And so if we repent of our sins, that means we turn away. From evil, we turn away from what we know is rebellion. And we shift directions and we pursue the known will of God for our lives. If you're calling on God for mercy, and some people have done this, and, and I just want to help you out this morning. If you're calling on God for mercy, you're saying, God, I need your help, man. My life's messed up, my family's a wreck, my job, whatever. God, I need your help. If you're calling on God for mercy, but you refuse, To turn from evil ways. 
You're making a mockery of God. Who do you think he is? Some genie in a bottle that you can just ask for favors when you get in a crunch? You have to call on God. And you have to turn. Say, God, I'm not not just asking you to bail me out. I'm making up my mind here. That I'm going to humble myself. And by repenting, I'm saying I recognize the direction I'm going is wrong. And I'm turning from that and I'm moving towards the heart of God. Let me tell you something the Bible says because, you know, a lot of people uh, in crisis situations, and, and the Lord knows that we've had some crisis situations in our nation in the last week. But in crisis situations, what we find is that our culture has just enough gospel to be inoculated to it. Our, our, all of a sudden, we all become Christian in, in our terminology and, and people talk, start talking about, you know, God helping us and, 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 and God's favor and, and His blessing. And, and, and it's great that people have a little bit of an understanding of the gospel, but it's also dangerous to have just enough to be inoculated to the power of it. I want to tell you a truth that you're not going to hear on the news. If you don't turn from sin... God won't hear you when you pray. I know you didn't come to church on Father's Day to hear that, but I love you enough to tell you what you're not going to hear at memorial services. If you won't turn from sin, God won't hear you. You say, man, that's strong. You better not be out on a limb saying that. No, 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 I wouldn't dare say something like that without backing it up with God's word. Here it is. Psalm chapter 66. Verse 17 and 18. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If, conditional, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You mean to tell me that God's not hearing everybody's prayer? That's what I mean to tell you. There's one prayer he hears from a lost person. It's a cry for help. It's a cry for salvation. It's a cry for deliverance. But God is not a gimmick. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not waiting to to bail you out and give you your wishes in hopes that maybe, just maybe, you'll be concerned with him tomorrow. No. No, if you go to God with no intention of turning from sin... He will not hear you. But the king of Nineveh understood. I'm going to call urgently on God. And I'm going to turn from my evil ways. And then he said these words. Look at verse 9. Here's here's the king of Nineveh. Here's a lost person. And I, I love this. He says, who knows? Who knows? God may relent. And with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he, we will not perish. Who knows, he says. I mean, this is, this is the king of Nineveh. I, I didn't take time today to give you the, the backstory. Next Sunday, I'll tell you some of the, the gory history of the Ninevites. But today, you just need to know that this guy is as far from God as anybody that you could imagine. And he's only got one reason in the world to even think that maybe God would not just send fire down on him like he did in Sodom. I mean, why didn't he just, you know, cast down fire and destroy the whole city? There's only one hope that he has, and it was the fact 
that in that little five Hebrew word message from from Jonah, he said, 40 more days. And so that king must have been thinking, why? Why would he give us 40 more days? I mean, if there's nothing we can do about it. If we're just going to stew in, in, the, in the moment of anticipation, why would, why would the God Jehovah, the God of Israel and Judah, why would he give us 40 more days unless maybe, just maybe, there's a sliver of grace there. Just maybe God is giving us an opportunity. Just maybe he's allowing us to live another 40 days so that we have the opportunity to be saved, to be rescued. And can, can I just say to you that just maybe, just maybe God has you where he has you. Because he wants to give you another opportunity. Now let's just talk to the church for a moment. Just maybe that new employee moved into your office because God wants to extend their days of grace. Just maybe the sickness hasn't ended in death because God is giving someone the opportunity to come to Christ. And so the Ninevite king says, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will relent. Maybe His fierce anger will not cause us to perish. Look at the 10th verse, the last verse in chapter 3. It says these words, When God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and He did not bring on them the destruction that He had threatened. When God Saw. What did he see? He saw people that called urgently on God and turned from their evil ways. You can't overestimate the power of repentance. You can't overestimate the ability that you invoke when you come to God with a broken heart. When you come to God with a humble heart. I don't care how, how far you've, you've run from God or how deep you've sunk. Jonah was sinking to the bottom of the sea. And the grace of God not only rescued him from that moment, but cleaned him up and called on him again. Gave him a second chance. And if that wasn't enough, he led him to a people that were hostile towards God. People that were persecuting the people of God. A people that hated the God of Israel. And he didn't send fire on him. He sent a messenger. And he said, 40 more days. 40 more days. God wants to speak that message to you. He wants to speak that message through you. To tell somebody there's still time to respond to God. If there's anything that this last verse tells me, it reiterates the promise that God answers prayer I mean if he'll answer the prayer of the Ninevites God answers prayer we'll call on him urgently and we'll turn from our evil ways God answers prayer